You may be seated. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3, as this morning we will hear God's word from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. But before we hear God's word, let us, as we always do, ask him for his mercy and grace to give us understanding, to open our eyes and ears to see and hear and behold the glory of Jesus Christ. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, by faith, you have caused Christ to dwell within us. You have given us your Son. But Lord, we confess that we often lack the strength to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And so we humbly plead for that strength this morning, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. And we ask this knowing that you are able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. So glorify your Son in our minds and in our hearts as we hear his word this morning. We ask this in his holy name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, hear the word of God to you this morning from Acts chapter 3 in verses 1 through 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is the holy, inerrant, authoritative, and sufficient word of our God. In Psalm 51, the psalm most of you are familiar with. King David prays 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Now, what does that prayer imply? It implies that David has lost the joy of his salvation. Otherwise, he wouldn't be asking for God to restore it to him. At the very least, his joy has diminished, if not altogether disappeared. Can I ask you this morning, do you ever feel like King David felt as he wrote that song? Like your joy in Jesus is diminishing, perhaps disappearing. Does your soul feel as lame as that beggar lying at the beautiful gate and you are unable to leap and praise your God? Well, it is my great joy and privilege to remind you this morning of the God of Psalm 23. Another psalm that David wrote. And in that psalm, he acknowledges that God is the one who restores souls. And this God is also the God of Acts chapter 3, the God who causes the lame to leave. And I believe we will leap again with the joy of our faith when we remember what God has given us in Jesus Christ, and therefore what we have to give to those in need. For we all have something to give because we have been given far more than we have ever asked for. That's what we see in these verses. So we're going to look at this story from two angles. First, we're going to focus on Peter and John, and as we look at them, we will learn that we all have something to give. But then we are going to look at this story focusing on the lame beggar, and we will see that we have been given far more than we ever asked for. So first, look at Peter and John with me in this story, so that we can see we all have something to give. At the end of chapter 2, which we read last week, Luke held up a, a snapshot for us of daily life and worship in the early church after the mass conversions at Pentecost. These Christians, we saw, were committed to the wonderfully ordinary means of grace that God had given them. And so they overflowed with awe, with praise, with joy, and with generosity. You read the end of Acts chapter 2 and you see these Christians just lived to worship Jesus. As we begin chapter 3, we see they also lived to witness to Jesus. Peter and John, who were two of the original 12 disciples Jesus called to follow him, went to the temple around 3 p.m. That's what the, the ninth hour is. 
They went to the temple at 3 p.m. because they went to the temple every day at 3 p.m. There were two main sacrifices offered at the temple. The morning sacrifice, which took place every day at 9 a.m., and the evening sacrifice, which took place every day at 3 p.m. And with each of these corporate sacrifices, there was a corporate public prayer service. And Peter and John are going to participate in that service. That's why Luke calls it the hour of prayer. However, on their way, they see a lame man lying at the gate. And kids, lame just means he was unable to walk. This is why people had to carry and lay him at the gate every single day. And every day he would lay at this gate. And he would ask those who were passing by him to go into the temple to worship God if they would give him alms, meaning that they would give him some money. He obviously couldn't work. This is the only way he could provide for himself and probably provide for his family. Now, if you ever go downtown Kalamazoo, you usually see men, women standing on street corners, holding up signs, asking for money. So just picture that in your mind. Although he would have been laying down and he wouldn't have had a sign. He most likely just held out his right hand to everyone passing by, looking around and asking for help. And Peter and John did the last thing that he probably expected. They actually stopped and they looked at him. And I mean, they really looked at him. Notice the intensity of Luke's language. He says, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. They didn't do what we probably do when we see people in help. In, in need of help. They didn't walk faster. They didn't pretend that they couldn't see or hear him. They didn't say, sorry, we're late for church. Don't have time. They stopped. They looked. How often do we go through our daily lives with blinders on? We don't see the people and needs around us. Our own problems, our own feelings, our own tasks and to-do lists keep us navel-gazing or simply unaware of who or what surrounds us. We don't see because we're preoccupied. And even when we do see and hear people, I'm not sure we really see and hear them because we aren't taking the time to look and to listen. I want us to notice here that Peter and John are, are just going about their daily lives. As I said, this is what they did every day, twice a day. They're going to the temple, but they, they didn't set out that afternoon saying, hey, let, let's find a, a lame man to heal. They were just going to pray. Yet they went about their daily lives with their eyes open, looking for what God might be doing. 
We sometimes lament, don't we, that God isn't working in our lives. He's not working in our troubles, in our families, in our friendships, in our marriages, in our churches, in our cities, in our world. But maybe, just maybe, the problem isn't that God isn't working. The problem is we aren't looking for what he's doing. We read the signs of activists and we just think God's clearly not at work. Our troubles give us tunnel vision. Our desires distract us. And we miss what is in front of us. But maybe our blinders aren't actually the result just of self-preoccupation. Maybe we don't stop and look because we don't believe we have anything to give. How can we help those in need around us? We see the tears, we hear the pain, we know the needs, we read the signs of those activists telling us to stop war and injustice, but we think, how can I possibly help? What do I have to give? I don't have much money. I don't have much knowledge or wisdom or influence or power. I haven't experienced what all of these hurting people are experiencing. So maybe we don't look to give because we don't think we have anything to give. Peter and John stopped and looked because they knew they had something to give this man. Now, they didn't have what the man wanted or was asking for, but they had what he needed. Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. Brothers and sisters, we don't have everything people want. We don't have everything they need. We can't solve every problem. We can't meet every need. And God isn't calling us to. But this doesn't mean we have nothing to offer. So what do we have? We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter continues, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now this miracle is wonderful. But the miracle is not the main point. The miracle is a sign. The miracle is an illustration of the main point. So what is the main point? Well, if you keep reading on in verses 11 through 26, which we'll look at next time, Peter tells us what the main point is. And as you read Peter's sermon, you see that the main point is the same main point that he preached on Pentecost. It is salvation by faith in Christ. 
Peter's not just out here looking to impress people with a miracle. He's out looking for every possible opportunity to witness to Jesus Christ and to tell people about salvation in his name. Peter again preaches Christ crucified. You peek ahead at verse 16. Peter says, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And then he says in verse 19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Do you see? This miracle of physical restoration was to help this man and was to help all the people who saw this man understand that there was a greater restoration taking place. This man's physical healing was just a sign and a foretaste of a far greater healing, the healing and forgiveness from sin. See, Peter and John were always eagerly looking to share Jesus. Now, we may not be able to perform the sign, but we are still able to share the reality that sign pointed to. We have the reality. We have the greatest gift of all, which is the good news of Jesus Christ, of forgiveness of sins, of eternal life. It's not what everybody wants. It is what everybody ultimately needs. Now, Christians are commanded throughout the Bible, to serve and give to the poor. The man is, is out asking for alms because that was built into the Mosaic law. Almsgiving was, was part of what it meant to be a faithful covenant follower of the Lord. And it is good and it is necessary to help meet material needs whenever we can. So please do not hear this sermon as an excuse to just ignore physical material needs. Remember what we saw in Acts 2. Th these were a joyfully generous people. And our joyful generosity is to begin in the church, but it is to extend beyond the church. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So that is clearly commanded. We are to do that as Christians and as churches. But we must not confuse this with the main mission that God has given us, which is not to stop every war. It is not to reform every government. It is not to end world hunger, fight every injustice, and right every wrong. That is beyond us. That is what God will do. It's not what we are called to do. Our mission 
is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. As John Piper has said, Christians care about all suffering. We ought to care about all suffering and seek to relieve it wherever we can. But he says Christians care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering, which is our greatest suffering. Peter and John were looking for opportunities to witness to Christ so that they could give him away. Because they understood that Jesus is the greatest gift they had been given, and it is the greatest gift they could give. And so again, I ask us, are we looking to give Jesus away? Christian, we all have something to give, and what we have to give is not small. It is not insignificant. We have a great mission and purpose. You need to know, not one of you is useless. Not one of you goes out into this world and says, well, I'm, I'm just taking up space. I've got nothing to give, nothing to offer. I can't help people in any way. No, you have a great use and a great purpose on this earth. And what you have to give is invaluable. And so let me just bring this back home for a minute. Because it is tempting as we see each other's needs, as we hear each other's hurts, that we still are overwhelmed and think, I, I can't heal your physical pain. I can't meet your financial needs. I can't break through your depression. I can't answer all of your hard questions. I can't relieve all of your fears. I haven't suffered in all of the ways that you have suffered. So I don't know how to help. Well, I want you to consider what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Now listen carefully. Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Paul says, that is, God comforts us in our affliction, whatever that may be, we are now able to comfort others who are in any affliction. Not because our affliction is necessarily the same, but because our God and because the comfort is the same. We give what we have been given. We may all go out and say with Peter and John, I have no silver and gold, but what I have I give to you. Number two, we should consider this story from the perspective of the lame beggar to more clearly see that we have been given far more than we have ever asked for. Because some of us may not feel like Peter and John in this story. We don't feel like the one going out to, to help those in need. Some of us feel a, a lot more like that lame beggar. 
We've been suffering with little, if any, relief. We feel lame. We feel hopeless. Maybe at this point we feel downright angry. Now, how does this story help strengthen our spiritual feet and ankles? Well, first, just consider the position of this lame beggar with me for a minute. Luke tells us that this man has been lame from birth. And if you look ahead to Acts chapter 4, verse 22, you learn that this man is now over 40 years old. So this suffering has marked every moment of his 40 plus years existence. And in those days, a lot of people didn't live much past 40. So this was basically his entire life. His parents had never excitedly held out their hands to him when he was 10 months old, trying to get him to take his first steps. He'd never had first steps. He never knew what it felt like to, to run and play with the other kids. More than likely, his family had been carrying him to the temple and laying him by the gate since he was around 10 years old because everybody had to contribute to the family. So he may have been going there every day for at least 30 years of his 40 years of life. Day after day, decade after decade, he laid at that gate and he watched people pass him by to worship a God that perhaps he thought hated him and had forsaken him. Because the lame often were not ever allowed to enter the temple. And it was assumed that physical defects, especially those from birth, were a sign of God's displeasure. You, remember, you may remember when Jesus and his disciples passed by a man born blind in John chapter 9, and the disciples just casually asked Jesus, so Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this guy or was it parent, his parents that he was born blind? Clearly God was angry with, with somebody. There's no other explanation. So here again we have this man laying at the gate asking people for money. You almost get the sense, though, that he didn't expect anything from anyone anymore. It says he saw Peter and John and asked for alms, but you almost get the impression that he saw them in the same way he saw everybody else. He's just holding out his hand to, to anyone who passes by, but doing so with half his heart and half his attention. He had done this so many times, he was probably doing it without even thinking. Now, why do I say that? I admit it's somewhat speculative. But do you notice that Peter has to demand his attention? He's asking Peter for money, and yet Peter has to say, look at us. And then it says the man fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something as if he wasn't expecting anything before that moment when someone actually acknowledged his existence. And perhaps this describes you. You've been suffering for days, maybe for decades, and you've asked God countless 
times to give you the good that you desire or to take away the pain you don't want. Maybe you're still praying, but you're doing so half-heartedly because you expect him to just keep passing you by and not giving you what you're asking for. You don't read his word anymore because honestly, you don't want to hear from him any more than you think he wants to hear from you. Maybe you still attend church periodically, but the songs only touch your lips and the sermons just fall on a deaf heart. You're not just hopeless. You're angry. You're angry at the God who has not given you what you've been asking for. Well, if that's you this morning, I'm going to pull a Peter. I'm going to say, look at me. <laughs> Pay attention. Focus your mind and your heart. Now, I can't heal your physical and psychological problems. I can't fix your troubled marriage or troubled kids. I can't break through your depression and kill your fears. I can't relieve your financial hardships. What I can do is remind you, Christian, of what God has already given you. Which is far greater than whatever else you might be asking for right now. Consider the beggar with me. He asks for money. That's what he's been asking for every day. But that's not what Peter gives him. I have no silver or gold. Boy, was that probably a disappointing answer for the beggar. <laughs> Look at us. We're going to give you something. Oh, I have no money. Then why are you talking to me? Yet Peter gives him far more than he was asking for. He restores his ability to walk. It says, and he took him by the right hand, probably the hand he was holding out for money, and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Do you hear that repetition in Luke's description? He's walking, he's leaping, he's praising because he's walking and he's leaping and he's praising. It's a miracle. But I want you to imagine with me for a minute a different scenario. I want you to imagine if the lame beggar stood up and immediately he started grumbling. He said, I asked you for money. All you did was heal my legs. And then imagine if he walked back to that same spot at the gate every single day and he sat back down and he yelled at everybody passing by, I don't know why you're going to worship that God. He doesn't give you what you ask for. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't listen. And maybe the people would then ask, how did you get here? Well, I walked here. Aren't, aren't you the guy who could never walk? Yeah, but I asked for money and I'm really ticked off about it. 
clearly that would be absurd, right? <laughs> that the lame beggar who now walks is angry because he wasn't given what he asked for. But Christian, that is us every single time we are angry with our God. Anger at God is always wrong. There is not one moment when we are justified to be angry with God as if he has withheld from us what we need, as if he is against us. Now, if we are angry at God, and let's be honest, we get angry with God. I have felt anger at God. What we do is we bring that anger to him and we confess it and we praise the Lord that our God is patient and he is merciful and he will forgive us. But we must be clear that the anger is wrong. Now, I don't know why the man was born lame, other than the reason Jesus gave his disciples about the man who was born blind, saying, no, that this wasn't about sin. This was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And I don't know why God waited so long to heal him. It's interesting to think that Peter and John had probably walked past this guy many times before. Why was it this day as opposed to another day that the Lord led them to stop and look and heal him? I think it's even more interesting when you think that Jesus probably walked past this man. Jesus, when he was in Jerusalem, he would enter into the temple many times. Sounds like this guy was there every day. Jesus healed a lot of other lame men while he was on earth. Why didn't he heal this one? I don't know. Although I will say Jesus did eventually heal this one. Because Peter and John are very clear. They're not the ones who are having compassion on this man and healing him. They're just working on behalf of their king. It is Jesus who sees this man. It is Jesus who heals this man. That's the significance of the name. It's not a magic formula. You just say, in the name of Jesus, and cool things happen. Peter and John are recognizing we have no power, we have no authority, but the Christ we proclaim is the risen and ascended Lord who is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he's sitting at the right hand of God, and he is still reigning and ruling over everything. Remember how Luke begins this book, the second volume to his gospel according to Luke. It's not that the gospel of Luke is about what Jesus said and did, and the book of Acts is about what the apostles said and did. Luke has been clear. The book of Acts is about what Jesus continues to say and do. He's just saying and doing it from heaven through his apostles, through his spirit, and through his word. But for whatever reason God had in his love and wisdom to have this man born blind, to wait so long to heal him, the lame man is leaping with joy. He's not lamenting his 40 plus years of suffering. He's praising the God of his salvation. For again, Peter's sermon is going to be clear. This miracle is about a greater salvation than his ability to walk. I don't think it's just his legs that is leading this man to leap in joy. 
And when we meet this man in heaven, which I believe we will meet this man in heaven, he is still going to be leaping. He's not going to say, man, it wasn't worth it. Those days laying at the gate, not worth all this eternal joy. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that we should never ask God to relieve our earthly suffering. I'm not saying we shouldn't care about the earthly suffering and needs of others. We should ask God to relieve our suffering. He commands us to. He tells us to, to ask. It just may not be the fact that he will give us everything we ask for. And neither am I trying to minimize our earthly suffering as if it's just a, a small thing. It's, it's not that hard. Suffering is great. It is a big deal. It is really hard to endure. But I don't think our problem is usually that we're minimizing our suffering. I think the problem is that we're very aware of how great our suffering is, but we start minimizing our salvation. There may be things that God withholds from us for reasons only he knows. But brothers and sisters, remember what he has not withheld from you. He has given you his son, who is of infinite value and worth. He is the greatest pleasure you will ever know. In fact, every other pleasure that you have ever experienced is pleasurable because it's a taste of Jesus. It's an experience of him. We do not need strengthened feet to leap like the beggar. What we need is strengthened faith to comprehend as Paul prays in Ephesians and as I prayed this morning to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We need strength to comprehend Christ. Have you lost your leap, the joy of God's salvation? Perhaps this means you've lost the eternal perspective. But if you have, do not despair. For as David writes, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Our God is a God of restoration. And after you have suffered a little while, and that little while may be a lifetime, after you have suffered a little while, Peter tells us the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. For this is the promise of the new age, of the new covenant, which was inaugurated at Pentecost. 
Isaiah foresaw this new age and covenant. And he said on that day, then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Christian God in Christ has made your lame soul leap. And you will leap again in faith when you remember what God has given you in Jesus Christ. What misery could outweigh the eternal joy of knowing Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we confess that we do often grow discouraged. We at times feel despairing. We get angry because we don't understand all of your ways. We don't know why, if you are good and wise and loving, you are leading us through the valley of the shadow of death. But Lord, we don't have to understand why. Would you please just help us remember who you are? Would you please help us remember who Jesus is? And that you have given to him, given him to us, not in part, but in full. We pray now with David. Restore to us the joy of his salvation. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.